Welcome to the sermon podcast of Old Bridge Baptist Church. Our mission at OBBC is to make disciples of Christ who connect with God, others, ministry, and the lost. We pray that the following sermon will encourage you in your walk with Christ today. Visit us on the web anytime at obb.church. Well, I got to go to Carnegie Hall this past week for the first time. And uh, let me tell you, it was, it was quite the experience. And uh, I was told again and again that the only way to get there was practice, practice, practice. But I got there by car anyway. You know, it's the kind of experience that uh, you wish you could share with those that you, you knew and loved most. And, um, you know, I was snapping photos, took a little, um, a little voice memo on my phone, you know, of some of the music that was being played, uh, you know, texting it out to people. It was just, just incredible. You know, it was, a, it was a multi-sensory delight to actually be there in New York City. At Christmas time, it was snowing out the window historic location with performers that I, I knew and, and trusted and loved. And I've been telling everyone about it all week. And, uh, you know, even, even with all that, you know, with the pictures and the videos to show people, you, you just kind of had to be there, you know? You couldn't quite capture it for people, but I sure have tried to tell people about it. You know, those who, who beheld Bethlehem's light the birth of Jesus and, and his life, I think must have had some of those experiences that you get when you've had just a wonderful experience that you want to share with somebody else. Only multiplied. One such first-hand witness was a man by the name of John. John was a, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't know if you know much about John the Apostle, but before Jesus called him to follow him, he was a fisherman, just a simple fisherman. And when Jesus found him, he was actually there on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, just mending his nets. And Jesus called him to, to follow him. John had a, a brother, his name was James, who was also a fisherman. And together, James and John were often referred to as the sons of Zebedee. But Jesus had a, a different name for them. He called them the sons of thunder. I don't know if it was because of that one episode where James and John wanted to call down lightning on unbelievers like the prophet Elijah. It might have been because of that, I don't know. But I think it was probably because of their boisterous personalities. Maybe it was both. John was not only a part of Jesus' 12 closest disciples, he was also one of the three that comprised the inner circle of, of Jesus' closest disciples. He was in the inner three. Yet, when John wrote down the gospel story in the gospel of John in your New Testament, he never once referred to himself by name. He would only call himself, rather modestly, the one who Jesus loved. John had this rare privilege of beholding Jesus 
in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, and his ascension back up into heaven. And this was John the Apostle who also, later in life, instead of being executed like the other apostles, was exiled to the, to the island of Patmos. And there he beheld a vision of the end times. He saw Jesus, not only in his life, but he saw a vision of Jesus as King of kings and Lord of lords. He saw the end of history and how Jesus would take the throne. This is the, the John, the son of thunder, who over time became known simply as the elder or the apostle of love because of his so many teachings on the subject. And it's this John who writes this wee little letter in the back of your New Testament, 1 John. And John starts this letter by establishing his credibility as a witness. This is what he writes. He says, That which was from the beginning... Got it up on the screen for you here. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. So that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So John is saying here, look, we are multi-sensory witnesses of the word of life. The first thing I want you to notice is that he's, he says we. Right? There's no I here. He's talking about we, I mean, as you scan back over this text here, he says, he says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, and on and on down through the passage. So John's testimony doesn't stand or fall on his testimony alone. There was a whole community of witnesses that together were saying the same exact thing. In fact, they were laying down their lives for what they had seen and heard. They were witnesses. Everyone from Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the wise men to the end of the story when Jesus goes back up into heaven and, and 500 people at one time saw him risen from the grave. They combined our firsthand eyewitness testimonies and they turned the, the first century world upside down. And their testimonies continue to turn the world upside down today, this Christmas. We, we still read their testimonies and take it as an eyewitness testimony of the Lord himself coming among us. Second, I want you to, to notice the multi-sensory nature of this testimony. John says, that which we have heard. Right? This is... The normal thing that a prophet would say, right? I heard from God. I heard a message from him, and now I'm going to tell it to you. John says our experience was more than that. He says that which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands. 
In other words, we're not only ear witnesses, but we're eyewitnesses and, and hand witnesses as well. We touched him and saw him and heard him. Could God come so near? Would God reveal himself in such a clear way, in such a tangible way? And that brings us to the object of John's testimony, the person of Jesus Christ himself, the word of life. John describes him as that which was from the beginning in verse 1. Jesus preexisted his human life on earth because he is the eternal one. John calls him the Son of the Father, the Son of God, which, by the way, makes him equal with God. He calls him the Word of Life. I think, again, John is marveling here, not just that he heard, that he hears the Word of God as a message, but he actually got to see the Word of God, the life, the Word of Life. In the person of Jesus Christ. John says, This word of life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you this eternal life. See, because of Christmas, we don't just have a message to proclaim, we have a person to proclaim. And then John goes on and he says, by the way, here is his word or his message that I received from him. So not only am I testifying to him as a person, but here's his message. Here's what he told me. Verse 5. He says that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. You know, you've heard it said that a picture... Uh, What's the saying? A picture paints a thousand words. Right? And I, I think this is true here of this analogy that God is light. Probably could, I could probably talk about this for an hour, which I'm not going to do. Okay? But if I could boil it down to, to one thing that this really means for us here in this, this text, I would say that for God to be light means that he is holy. And his holiness is not only uh, without any darkness at all. It means he is light and there's no darkness or no sin within him. There's no evil in him. It speaks of his purity, his holiness, his righteousness. But at the same time, I think the, the fact that God is light means that his holiness exposes our darkness. Any darkness that comes into his presence is exposed. Isn't that what light does? I was thinking about the, one of my favorite movies, The Great Escape. It's an old movie. If you haven't seen it, you should go back and watch it sometime. It's these guys trying to get out of a, of a, a prisoner of war camp, and they dig a tunnel under the fences, and they, they escape out into the darkness. Right? They didn't do it in the middle of the day, in the light. Right? And they're trying to avoid those spotlights that are trying to find them. Light exposes. God is light. Now, John envisions here three different 
reactions to this message. He says in verse 6 that some people, some people say they have fellowship with God, the God of light, and yet in reality they still walk in darkness. Right? So I'm summing this up as they say one thing and they do another. I'm not talking about the fact that Christians still struggle with sin because we do. That's not what this is talking about. This is using your words to say, I walk in the light, but you're using it as a, as a cover for the fact that in reality you're walking in darkness. That's one possible reaction to God as light. Secondly, John says, on the other hand, some people say in verse 7 that they have no sin. There is no darkness in me. You're telling me God is light? Well, that's great because I'm light too. Right? I'm a good person too. Denial. Denial of the, the, the need for God. John is just as quick to expose this as false. He says, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. He says, we make God a liar and God's word is not in us. So what is the, what is the third and, and really the only appropriate response to the message of John, this eyewitness, to the fact that God is light? It's to come to the light. It's to come to the light, to let the light expose your sin and your darkness And instead of denying it and running away from that exposure, to confess your darkness, to confess your sin and forsake it, not to a priest, but to God. And when we do that, John tells us that the blood of Jesus, God's son that was sent at Christmas time, cleanses us from all our sin. And he ends with this this beautiful verse here that says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is why the light came at Christmas. To expose our sin, yes, but also to provide the remedy to that exposed sin, to make this kind of forgiveness possible, because Jesus lived the life you and I could never live. He died the death that you and I never want to face. And he rose again on the third day in victory over death. And after a a span of a certain number of days, he, he rose back up to heaven where he's seated even now at the right hand of God the Father. And one day he's coming again. And so as we celebrate Jesus' first coming, we have an eye towards his second coming. He is coming again. And so the question for you this Christmas is, how are you responding to this message of the eyewitness testimonies of Jesus Christ? There's no better time than Christmas to come to the light, to come to the light of the God who made you, to not... Try to deny what that light exposes. Not to slink away from it into the shadows, 
but to stand in that light and what it exposes and to rather confess it to God. And you can be cleansed once and for all of all that defiles you before a holy God. And then you can begin a new life in the light of the word of life. And it's all made possible by the miracle of Christmas. Thank God for who he is and what he has done by sending us his son. Will you pray with me?